those farmers in Switzerland, just as farmers in the south, uh, dairy farmers in the south of Germany or in Austria are paid a little uh, better because when you do uh, have cows up in the mountains, you have, you have just a few. And then the, the, the dairy says, we want to keep this structure and we want to keep those small uh, scale farmers up in the mountain. Although this milk is more expensive uh, uh, to us, but at the same side, we do the marketing. We tell the people, we support those small scale farmers uh, up in the mountains. And uh, often it says on the milk, it's a uh, mountain farmer's milk, which is an additional marketing thing to make people understand those farmers up in the mountains, they have the production of the milk, but at the same time, they take care of the landscape. Welcome to The Real Organic Podcast. I'm Lindley Dixon, co-director of The Real Organic Project. We're a grassroots, farmer-led movement with an add-on organic food label to distinguish organic crops that are grown in healthy soils and organic livestock that is raised on well-managed pasture. You just heard from Stefan Rees, the director of Naturaland, an add-on organic label in the EU that certifies 140,000 farms around the world. This year, Real Organic Project entered into a partnership with Naturaland to certify processed products in the U.S. Three big things we have in common with Naturaland is that we're a whole farm add-on certification program, and we're also farmer-led. So we're learning how, for Naturaland, being farmer-led has been integral to maintaining integrity for over 40 years. Welcome to the Real Organic Podcast, and I'm really pleased today to be talking with I will say Stefan Rees, also Stefan Riese, uh, who is the executive director of Natureland. Um, Natureland and Real Organic Project just announced a joint venture yesterday. And uh, Stefan, we've been working for years on getting to this moment. How are you liking California? Well, Dave, we, we met in Vermont before, and Vermont is wonderful, and California is wonderful, but the most wonderful thing is that after this time of getting to know each other, of uh, finding out that we have in the organic movement the same heartbeat, um, it's just great and exciting that uh, we as Naturland and uh, the Real Organic Project have found together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so for people who don't know, maybe a little, a little uh, description of Natureland, and a little history, a little, little bit about it. Well, just, just like the organic project, um, uh, farmers, farmers came uh, together um, thinking about what is going wrong. Uh, in, in agriculture and what, what needed uh, to be changed and what still needs to be changed. 
with Natural and that was uh, 40 years ago. We are actually right now celebrating our 40th anniversary. We were found uh, in December 82 and then uh, in the beginning of 83. Uh, this was all uh, written in documents uh, and put uh, into the official uh, frame. And then we had a very, very interesting development. Um, so the founders of Naturland had in focus that there was already organic farming, but the organic farming was uh, focused on plant production. So uh, the founders said we need stronger to focus uh, on animals, on animal welfare, because it all belongs together. There was no market for organic meat at the time. So this had had to be uh, developed. So the focus was very much on, on animals, uh, but also on in, in the field of, uh, of marketing at the time. How so, many, how many farmers were there the first year? How many when they formed? When they formed, uh, there were actually um, maybe four or five farmers and the other four or five people supporting the foundation, the founding of uh, Naturland uh, were uh, uh, teachers, professors, uh, just customers who wanted to push this. And then within the first one or two years, there were just a few dozen uh, of, uh, of farmers and um, of course, they said we need to have a financing and they paid a, mem paid a membership fee. But in the beginning, it was mainly that people from the outside would give money to support this movement. Yeah. And well, that was 40 years ago. And in the meantime, today, uh, we are uh, some 140,000 farmers in uh, 60 countries in the world because one of the founding members at the time uh, was uh, starting a farm in the Tuscany in Italy. And therefore, the thinking that organic and that farming and people uh, in this world, in one world, need to work together and there are no frontiers when it comes to the environment and um, the, the, the basics of, of our living um, was set and now in those 60 countries, the, the beginning was that uh, farmers uh, in Peru, in Mexico, would be producing uh, coffee and selling it to Europe, to uh, Germany, uh, would be producing uh, tea in India. We were the first ones to certify organic tea and coffee in the world. And um, in the meantime, things have changed. Things have changed in a way that also in those countries like Peru, like Mexico, in India, but also in uh, Uganda, Tanzania, people are able, at least some people are able, to pay a little more for organic. So we support uh, the farmers there to develop their own market in their country with the aim that the export is just, how do you say, um, the top of the cream. Um, but it is needed, um, and to us it is important that those farmers work with the same philosophy and the same heartbeat as the farmers in Europe do. And I'm very happy to see that we are finding together, because what the Real Organic Project does is with the same heartbeat and the same understanding of organic. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an important point to also help them develop their local organic markets. I mean, it's not just for import-export that we want this. 
we want we want the whole world to eat organic food. Yeah. Exactly. And um you know when it comes to regulations uh what in the US is called uh, the National Organic Program. I don't like the word program but because program is implementing uh that something is being pushed to develop and a standard or regulation is just a standard or a regulation. I am convinced and we are convinced that the uh, development of organic can only be uh, in the hands and in the understanding uh, of, of farmers. So actually we do need a better understanding in Europe, in the European Commission, of what the farmers are troubled by and what they would like to push and not what some bureaucracy office uh, in Brussels, and it seems to be the same uh, in the US, uh, in DC, uh, what their ideas are, but what our ideas are. And at the same time as pushing organic, we always have to see the practical side. Sometimes the ideas are very uh, ambitioned to to push this and that and have an additional uh, uh, top uh, top up but it always have to come along with the understanding of the farmers and what people are willing to pay. Farmers cannot do everything and anything and nobody is ready uh, to pay for it. So it always have, has to come along with the understanding of the customer and our ability to explain to the people of the value of our work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, because the farmers are, are leading Naturaland, the 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 standards are actually attainable. They're possible to do. It's not just some crazy idea. People are doing it. In America, of course, organic farmers are, are doing it. It's just that the National Organic Program is allowing crazy standards and things that should not be inorganic. And they're in danger of destroying the very thing they're supposed to protect. Yeah, well, the, the challenge is, um, you have, you have a lot of labels, um, in the US. We have a lot of labels in, in, in Europe and the customer gets confused. Um, and we have to focus on the issue that the customer needs to understand what organic is about and, um, how they can support farming here and around the globe by buying, orga buying organic. And in the moment this, this organic is greenwashed, we, we, we run into difficulties of explaining what organic really is. And it does destroy, um, the, the real organic farmers. If, if you have to compete with, um, with, in the US, you have the situation of the hydroponics, which are allowed, and it's the only country in the world where a hydroponic is being considered organic, which is a complete mess. Um, or in, in other countries, you have the split farming considered to be good. And at the same time, our belief is either you are convinced organic, and you don't use pesticides, you don't use uh, artificial fertilizers, you don't use uh, GMOs, you focus on your soil and do the best you can to, uh, to develop uh, the, the fertility of the soil. You cannot at the same time say, and over there I work, I work completely different. Either it is your heartbeat or it isn't. So um, it, is, it's a, it keeps being a challenge uh, to explain to the customer what real organic is 
And this is what actually what we are doing. We, we realize that it is good there is a basic standard, but we need always to communicate uh, what our understanding is and why it makes much more sense to focus on the real organic and not only on a regulation. Good. I want to talk about how you have the conversation with the customer. But first, I want to just ask one thing you just said. You said basically, if somebody isn't doing it with their whole heart, it's not really going to be organic. If they say, well, this field's organic, but that field's chemical. So tell me why that's a problem. Obviously, I, I mean, it's not obvious. I agree with you, but tell me from your perspective, why is that a problem? Is the farmer not able to really understand organic if they're divided in that way? When it's just a, a, a business decision, and many, many organic farmers who are real believers come to it as a business decision. Well, there's a, a guy you, you might know, Bob Quinn. He, he goes to Biofoc. Uh, he's a grain grower from Montana. And he talks about when he transitioned from being a conventional grain farmer to becoming an organic one. And it was an economic equation. And at first it was partial. And then he really got religion. And he's like, oh my God, this is the way to, that we should farm. And he saw all the reasons. He saw the whole, the whole cascade of reasons. And he, he was converted to really believing in what he was doing. So that's a, that's a defense of the split farm for people to say, look, we have to bring people in. Tell me a defense of the whole farm. Well, different answers. The one answer is, when a farmer is deciding to convert to organic, but at the same time he is coming out of this industrial world and uh, he is delivering uh, certain amounts uh, of, of his produce to this customer and another customer, and um, he, he, is not, he is not always ready to convert everything at the same time. Then we would have the understanding to uh, make a document, to come up with a document with him to decide that in one, two, and three years, he is converting uh, the farm and not from uh, January 1st uh, this year. But in the heart of the farmer, the decision is made, I convert the whole farm. There are some economic uh, um, uh, consequences why he can't do it at, a, at one step. That's okay. But to decide to do, to do it uh, split is a different thing. Um, and this especially goes to the credibility of organic farming. We always do have the situation that customers have the question, is this really organic? How do you prove that it is really organic? Is this inspected at all? And is this inspected also coming inspection coming true for organic uh, uh, from Mexico with the coffee and from Sri Lanka with the tea and uh, are you making really sure that there is uh, no fraud? So this fraud issue and the credibility of uh, organic farming is a huge thing. And to explain to the customer that somebody is doing this not with his full heartbeat but because it's a business is not really of support of paying uh, more money 
for, for the food from the better world. And then we are convinced if you really want to do a good job and you can, if you had been a good industrialized farmer, the chances you become a good organic farmer because you dig into the whole issue to try to understand about how to build up soil fertility, how to do the best animal welfare issues. You cannot say with this heartbeat of uh, developing uh, your farm into organic in the understanding of the whole community can be split somewhere. You're either convinced or you're not. Yeah. And, well, let me add... It's almost energetic. Yes, go ahead. Sometimes we face the situation, there is a processor, and the processor is delivering a retailer, and the retailer is asking for more organic. And then the, the, he's asking the processor to organize more organic. And the processor is offering money to conventional farmers to convert to organic. Then we as, as a farmers organization with a consultancy uh, for the, uh, for the farmers with a different Naturland organization, um, have the, ch the challenge that those farmers in the first step are convinced that this financial wise is a good decision. And then it takes education and discussions and bringing farmers together to a network, uh, the farmers who have been doing organic with Naturland for years and the new ones to come to really get them convinced. I remember uh, we do have, we do have a member. Um, it's, it's a bigger farm. It's owned uh, by a, uh, how do you say, uh, by a insurance who's insuring insurances. Um, they have a, a, a farm and they have somebody running the farm. And then this owner of the farm said, we would like to have it organic. And the young guy whom they had employed uh, a year before said, you should have told me earlier, I'm not doing this nonsense. And they told him, excuse me, you're 32 years old. You should be somewhat flexible. If you are not able to do the job, just tell us. So he dig into the whole issue. Today, when he talks to farmers, he says, I came to convert to organic because I had to. And I didn't really think that it's working. And I had to find out in the beginning, the yields went down. I was able by building up soil fertility to bring the yields up. Um, it is all working well, and I'm not attacked anymore by uh, um, anybody from outside that I'm using pesticides. No, I can even tell anybody it is working well, and I'm very convinced organically, ecologically, and also in the, uh, on the side of economics. And there's another pillar of sustainability, which is the social uh, responsibility we have. So we also have to focus on that because all those employees, and there are at bigger farms uh, employees, not only with the processors or retailers, also on, on bigger farms in the global north and also in the global south, that all those field workers are being treated right. And that this is also, how do you say, pictured in the end of the day at the price of the product. Good. Let's talk about that. Um, so for... For Natureland, what are your standards, basically, basically, 
for farm workers. I'm not talking about the fair add-on. I'm just talking about for your basic cert organic certification. What are your standards around uh, worker welfare? Well, uh, all this uh, social uh, responsibility part goes on. Let me just uh, look on the paper on human rights, on freedom to accept or reject employment, freedom of association, access to trade unions, equal treatment and opportunities, child's rights, uh, health and safety, employment conditions, contracts, equal treatment, wages, payment in kind, working hours, social benefits, further education. Yeah. Those are all the headlines. And now you go into into the details and this is not this is not the fair trade standard this, this comes your basic this comes within the basic certification and um when when you come to organic farming that's how do you say a natural science but uh, when it comes to all the social issues this is another science it is somewhat easy to write those lines down but when it comes uh, to a checklist and you send an inspection body out there to check whether all this is kept. This is much, much more difficult. So we have set up different checklists. As in some countries, lots of these things are put into uh, uh, um, uh, uh, government uh, rules. Yes, so the government rules are already covering it. Are already covering it. So you just need a few questions to make sure it's really all done, just small. Then there are maybe um, some countries in the global north where maybe this is in written law, but uh, you know it's more written than done. We have a few questions more. And then more or less for the global south, the whole uh, checklist is even a little bit longer. It doesn't make sense to have the same checklist uh, for, for the whole world. You need to look uh, where what the situation is where uh, and have a, a checklist which applies to that because a checklist is being gone through by the inspection body. The inspection body takes time and time is money, so the farmer has to pay or the corporate have to, has to pay. So we need to make sure... There are not more questions than needed, but enough questions that are needed so that we can be sure this is checked. And on the other hand, we have to be sure the farmer is not paying more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the social standards, uh, I, my understanding is that almost everything on that list is already law in Germany. Yes. Yeah. So it was started by German farmers. Did they have that list in the beginning, or was that just taken for granted? And then, as they started to bring in farmers from other countries, they realized that there was a problem. Um, actually, our government is our uh, assembly of delegates, and the assembly of delegates are German farmers, but also farmers uh, from abroad, uh, international members. Yes. So the discussion on each standard is a discussion of farmers from here and there. So um, those, those international farmers were able to bring in a lot of input about uh, their situation, what is needed um, and what is difficult. We have long discussions 
before uh, the assembly of delegates says, yes, this is the way we go. It's a, a democratic process. Yes. What is the level of farmer involvement with Naturland? 140,000 farms, so a quarter million farmers, assuming that there's a couple connected with every farm. That's a lot of people. Is it, is it, are, is there a lot of enthusiasm from farmers to make sure this process stays right? Or are many of the farmers happy it's being done, but they're too busy farming to, to participate much? Well, I would say, uh, as with all uh, democratic movements, you have, you have people in there who go to an election and you have people who don't go to an election. I'd say most, most of the farmers are with our association because they have the right and the chance to take influence on the decision. And they elect uh, a delegate, whether the delegate is from Italy or India or Germany. And um, there will be conversations between the delegates uh, and the members. So there is, there is the, the involvement. And um, this shows very much when, when we have the meetings and discussions because each delegate is getting fed by the farms um, out of his area or in his country. So there are different interests. And uh, then we have sometimes hard discussions to finally get a solution because I'm not always sure whether this is the 100% right way, but our standard comes true for all farmers around the globe. And sometimes, this is why I'm hesitating, sometimes I do think we need to be a little more flexible on the cultural situation and uh, on, the, um, on the climate situation. Um, so towards the consumer, we can always say this is the standard uh, guaranteed and all farmers have to work towards the standard. But we will discuss and we are, we are discussing whether um, we bring in some flexibility. So if you take, for example, uh, looking into the US, uh, the Amish in Pennsylvania, this is a very certain culture. And is it, would it be right to put all those uh, Naturland standards on this belief of those people? Or doesn't it make sense? And this is a rhetorical uh, uh, point to look closer and adjust it to their certain situation, respecting their culture. So you see, it is always in the development, in a process. Yeah. Are you comfortable telling that story about the people who climbed very high up the trees to harvest and before they climbed? They sacrificed a chicken, I think. <laughs> I just thought it was such an interesting thing about different cultures. Well, it is, it is an interesting story, and I tell you why, why I hustle and hesitate uh, uh, speaking about the story, which is, I was talking about a tribe uh, of, of uh, uh, people within the Philippines living in the, in the woods uh, uh, at, at the Pinatubo uh, uh, Volcani. And 
those those people are not really recognized by the Philippine uh, people. And they live there in the woods, um, all those uh, uh, um, people of their tribe, they are called Aita. So those Aitas, uh, they are collecting mangoes from mango trees, not mango trees uh, out of a plantation, but mango trees in the woods. You have to climb up 10, 15, 20 meters without any uh, security, no ropes, nothing. They climb up there to collect those mangoes. If somebody falls, he might be dead. So this is this is something really, really special. You have no idea when you have this mangoes, maybe in a yogurt or you just buy them as dried mangoes, what the story behind this is. And this is something actually we are missing the storytelling of what is behind uh, many uh, many products of a lot of produce raw material. So before they do the harvest, they have some celebration in their belief to make sure that somebody's watching that they have a safe safe harvest. So they have some uh, some music by drums, uh, uh, dancing, and then there is a chicken. And then there is somebody with a bow and arrow dancing along, and in some moment he will shoot uh, uh, the, the chicken with the bow and the arrow, and this chicken sort of has to die to make sure nobody else gets hurt. Now, I'm hesitating to tell the story because we're talking about mangoes. And there are a lot of vegetarians and vegans who eat this, to take care of animals, not to take to have an animal slaughtered or to see an animal die. So if they hear the story, they would say, oh, I shouldn't buy this mango if a chicken is uh, being killed in this horrible way. But I do believe we have to respect, just as I said with the Amish people, this culture. And this is their culture and their way of harvesting, and it is their belief. So how come we from the global north decide this is not the way to go. This is the way how they harvest, how they believe, how their religion is set up. And um, I think it's, it's, it's just very astonishing and, and incredible. And we, 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 we should respect uh, those people, their beliefs, and this, this very special culture. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I thought it was a, a special story. So you, 140,000 farms, 60 countries, did you say? So all over the world, many, many cultures. What's the impact for so many of these people? I, I understand when I go to the store and I buy coffee or chocolate, you know, I really want it to be really organic. I, I'm happy to pay the difference. I'm able to. But uh, I always go, I don't know. Olive oil, I really go, I don't know. Because uh, I know that there's a lot of fraud in, in olive oil. And, and, and all of these products, I just can't tell, even though they're USDA certified. I still will buy organic. But I can't tell. And I would gladly seek out a Naturland logo, because I believe that you, you verify that people are doing it the right way. What's the impact? on these communities, in your experience, what do you see 
happens because they're getting certified with Not Your Land? What are the differences in their lives? Well, if you look in the Global South, as we were just talking about the Philippines, um, they, they are better off. Um, they are better off when they are Naturland certified towards organic. They are even a little better off when they have an additional Naturland fair certification. Um, you have to see in those countries when they spray pesticides, when they um, use chemicals, very often whatever security uh, 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 um, issues to security uh, come, uh, come to, uh, this is not being kept. The safety issues. The safety the issues equipment. are not being yeah. kept. So once you can do the work and you can be sure not to be uh, injured with all of that stuff and you even get a, a little better price, you are much better off. And uh, you can see that in this area where they work, um, at least this is my feeling, there, there is a little paradise. There is a little island of, of a healthy ecological um, landscape area, uh, um, farming, and the people are better off. But... And we, we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, uh, be dreaming that now all is fixed. No, they are a little better off. But to make them really to be as good living, in a good living way as we are, actually this produce should be more expensive. So this is a compromise we, we are doing because if it would have the right price, we wouldn't see the produce uh, in the retail store. Even if in Germany we do have world shops, that is a little more expensive, but then you can only sell a little and the rest they sell to a conventional uh, uh, price. So we support, it is a support and it is uh, uh, sometimes a, a good support, but um, it, it is not the end of the story. We have to improve. And all this, we come into politics, is an issue of um, the, the, the real uh, cost uh, accounting story. This is not the real cost which is being paid to, to the farmers here in the state, in, 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 in the U.S. I suppose you as a real organic project and the farmers of the real organic project in the end of the day don't get the price they should get. And that's even worse uh, in, in the global, global south coming true because of subsidies and I don't know what. Yeah, I had a conversation with Paul Hawken last week and he was talked about visiting organic dairy farm in Switzerland. Beautiful farm, beautiful barn, open, light, airy, and very, very clean and well-ordered, what you would expect in Switzerland. And, but it was, he said it was really, uh, lovely, and it was uh, obviously a good life for the farmer and a good life for the cattle. And he said, you know, in, in the U.S., the, the organic dairy farmers, the real ones, are small and heroic that they are really working hard. They work so hard. And even so, they barely make it or they don't make it, and many of them are going out of business. And I asked him, well, why do you think that is? Why do you think there's the difference? And he wasn't sure. 
And I thought about it, and I think the difference is just what the farmers are paid for their crop. And uh, in Switzerland, I suspect that they're paid noticeably more for their milk, so they're able to afford to do things right and to maintain and keep up. And in the U.S., people are just struggling. And you're talking about, yes, in, in the global south, for many people, they're forced to live at a level of poverty because because the crop that they're selling to us we they're not getting enough money to to actually be able to rest to be able to see their kids go to school to be able to have a little bit of security do you think that's right and and that that's what it comes down to that we need to find a way to transform the experience of eaters where they're willing to pay what it really should cost? Let me start out in a different way. We, we do have, uh, as we are also uh, um, certifying um, organic aquaculture and sustainable fisheries, uh, we do have a project um, on fish in Africa. And we had to bring in, and this was developed with roundtable talks with the fishermen, uh, very basic things, uh, which, which was the, the, the chance of a medical care within, uh, um, within an hour or better 30 minutes. I have experienced going within a lake uh, to a uh, island where the fishermen lived that one fisherman who was out in the lake at night and this, how do you call it, petroleum lamp exploded, he had heavy burns and he, he survived with hardly any medical support. There was just one nurse on the island who had a little bit of an idea what she was doing. But there was not a doctor and there was not a chance in Africa, in Tanzania, with a helicopter to come and, and save his life. So part of what we were doing is to bring in this need that really a, a medical care is given within, within 30 minutes and, and that uh, the children are being taken care of, that there are all kinds of supports, usually a state, a, a government uh, is, is giving. So the situation is completely different than a situation of a, of a dairy farmer in Switzerland, in Germany, in France, or in the United States. Um, and I do know, I, I do think it comes true that uh, those farmers in Switzerland, just as farmers in the south, uh, dairy farmers in the south of Germany or in Austria, are paid a little uh, better because when you do uh, have cows up in the mountains, you have, you have just a few. And then the, the, the dairy says, we want to keep this structure and we want to keep those small uh, scale farmers up in the mountain. Although this milk is more expensive uh, uh, to us, but at the same side, we do the marketing. We tell the people we support those small-scale farmers uh, up in the mountains. And uh, often it says on the milk, it's a uh, mountain farmer's milk, which is an additional 
marketing thing to make people understand those farmers up in the mountains, they have the production of the milk, but at the same time, they take care of the landscape. So um, there are a lot of different pieces of the puzzle. It's been my belief that if milk cartons had an honest picture of the farm where the milk came from, overnight, real organic would become hugely popular in the U.S. and people would pay the premium and not buy the CAFO milk, not buy milk from large confinement operations. Michael Pollan suggested there should even be a video loop by the milk counter of what the dairy farms actually look like for the cows. It seems that uh, there is a communication challenge that we face, a marketing problem, which is only to market the truth. And if people saw the truth, they would always go to Natureland. They would always go to Real Organic because they'd go, that is what I want to support. That's what I want to put in my body. That's the world I want to give to my kids. Which for sure comes true. But um, you need to take in consideration, we could not only have those uh, mountain um, uh, farmers doing this, uh, doing this milk. It's in the combination with other farms. And as an association, we could not live um, with a membership fee from those uh, farmers in the mountains because actually this is not paying our work. Our work is being paid by, uh, by bigger farms uh, not being in the mountains. And, you know, we have, we have, uh, this is, comes always true uh, with organic associations. You have lighthouse um, farms you would like to bring uh, all the journalists and uh, media people to. And then you have other farms where you will not bring the journalists to. Which does not mean that we do not take the responsibility we, we need to take and that they are not keeping the standards. Of course, they are keeping the standards. But it, in the end, it is the combination uh, of, of these farmers and these farmers. And um, the important thing is that in the end of the day, you can always say, if it is asked for, we can show you the whole transparency. This is all open and I can tell you why this farm is Naturland certified, although in the first moment you think, oh, this doesn't look like a, uh, a lighthouse uh, organic best, uh, best uh, done, well done uh, issue. For example, in former Eastern Germany, agriculture was organized, organized completely different. There were the so-called LPGs, uh, Landwirtschaftliche Produktionsgemeinschaften, which were huge farms because in the social, in the belief of the, of the communist uh, um, idea, all those people would do this organic production and not uh, each single farmer. So when Germany reunited those huge farms, which were called LPGs, LPGs um, some of them also turned organic, but they have big, uh, uh, big uh, cow sheds, uh, for example. So some things needed to be changed in, in, in the cow shed um, to, 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 to keep the standard, but still the buildings were the buildings. 
you could not just tear it down and say now we do it organic and build everything new uh, it had not paid it would have not paid so they're keeping the standards it's just not looking as nice as you would want to print this uh, on um, on your packaging nevertheless you're still right if we would show our real organic compared to something else uh, which is called organic we for sure would uh, would get the positive attention of the retail and the customer and therefore it is so important to push transparency and sometimes i am astonished that transparency is not in the philosophy of the whole supply chain it, 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 that's more true in the u.s that there's a lack of transparency or is that just is just as true in germany well of course you always have people in the supply chain who hesitate with transparency and there are different sides to transparency sometimes people will hesitate to talk about the farmers who deliver them because they don't want to communicate to their competitor where uh, their farmers are um, but sometimes it is it comes true because uh, somebody does not want to show under what condition the the production has been taking place and that's i suppose more often the case so um there is a huge interest and push um, in European societies to get to know what is really going on. That's a positive side of the social media. The social media has has pushed the chances uh, for for people to get to know what is really going on. And there's this young generation, this uh, Greta Thunberg uh, uh, generation. They want to know exactly not only what organic is about, but also what the social issues are, what organic is about in the global north and in the global south, what the social issues are of uh, people harvesting the tea and people, uh, uh, farmers, uh, employees working on a dairy farm in the global north. So in the long run, no one will survive uh, by thinking he or she could hide anything. It's just a matter of time. And if you go forward and you show the transparency, that's the right way to go because sooner or later you have to do it anyways. Is um, is this the EU organic? Is that being undermined? Are people coming to doubt it the way they are in the U.S.? Or do people accept that organic has pretty much got integrity, but they look to to uh, add-ons like Natureland to to take it further? The latter one, yes. Well, I do think um, EC uh, certification on organic is uh, ha has gotten a higher recognition on the for the consumer than it seems to me in the states with the national organic program. But nevertheless, there is still a doubt that really everything which is labeled organic is really organic, and people do believe that Naturland and the Naturland standard and the the, uh, the understanding of, of Naturland and the Naturland farmers is bringing them more value than um, a more or less 
anonymously, 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 organic from somewhere they don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, tell me, Stefan, why was Not Your Land interested in working with Real Organic Project? What what led you to us? There were other choices. Uh, you know, you you approached us and. And of course, we were deeply touched by that. But but as we got to know each other, tell me why why does Naturaland want to I- I extend its its reach to the U.S. Well, there are there are different there are different reasons. Um, let me start out by a very general one. As we are working internationally worldwide in the global north and in the global south it is always of support um, of meeting people being in touch with people discussing uh, with people all around the globe of the development uh, of organic agriculture and uh, so we we don't need to invent uh, another wheel which has been invented um, which comes true for organic all around the world and it is just good to be in exchange uh, with the farmers all around the world. This is also why we are member of uh, IFARM, the International Federation of Organic Agricultural Movements. And this, this side of connecting the world as we are one world is very important uh, to us. We are working in networks within Europe, but um, around the globe, I have to admit, with the exception of IFARM, our network needs to be developed. So we wanted not only to develop it in the global south, but also in the global north. And we wanted to develop it, of course, with farmers, with our belief, with our philosophy, with our heartbeat, with our understanding of organic, just in a different situation, in a different culture. And although the U.S. American farmers, the United States, are in the Western world so close to, to, to the European understanding, we all are still in a different culture. So we had wanted uh, to work together with uh, and have this network and partnership with uh, US uh, American farmers and talking, meeting people in the US, we, we found quite a few interesting uh, different um, uh, organizations and uh, people who are very committed uh, to organic, but the Real Organic Project and the Real Organic Project farmers are the ones who are the closest uh, to to us. We just feel this is part of, of our, our family or we are part of, of, of your family. So this is uh, one side of the story. The other side of the story is outside this um, understanding of an NGO. It is uh, the market uh, uh, marketing side, the profit uh, side. So farmers, Naturland members of the Global South, they do sell their organic coffee, their organic cacao, their organic bananas, their organic spices, and so on to Europe, to Germany. But actually their production usually is higher than uh, what is being sold in Europe. So we thought that's also could be also a good part of the connection to the US to support our members to have a, an additional uh, a market. 
And the U.S. market is uh, on organic is the biggest market uh, in the world. I'm convinced it will not stay the same. This will, will change because other countries will push organic much stronger than I have the impression it uh, will and could develop in the U.S. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it is important to have this additional bringing in of value in raw material produce into the U.S. for our members. And at the same time, there must be the understanding of the value we bring into our farmers of the Global South bringing. So that's interesting that uh, other countries are actively, the governments are actively promoting organic. They see that as something that they want to see seriously grow. I don't think that's the case with the USDA. Well, it's, it's, it's not the case as well in many other countries, but I see it, it coming and the cultural situations around the globe are very different. Now, being in the US, China is always uh, an issue. And actually, we as Naturland, we have a few members in China. Only a very few we are, we are talking about microalgaes uh, and tea. Um, and it's, it's very hard, uh, to, to have members in China, to certify in China, to make sure that really all the quality insurance, uh, is, is, is being, uh, kept in a situation where the Chinese government, um, has not really decided on pushing organic. They have only decided a little bit. But I'm sure they will decide on pushing organic. And once this country with 1.4 billion people pushes organic, and it makes a lot of sense for them to push organic because China is a industrial country. It is a developing country in everything in between. And a lot of people working out in the landscape uh, in 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 uh, different conditions. Once this is being pushed towards organic, this China will move forward with organic like no other country in the world. Southeast Asia in general has a high potential in organic, and I'm convinced it will just take a couple of years and then they will they will push it which is, to my belief, not a problem, because our understanding of organic must be, in the first place, it is there for uh, the, the regional markets. Organic produce in a region for this region, and then there will be some for the export. So our job is to make sure to have as much organic in Germany, for example, for, uh, for, for, for the German society, and then we get some cacao and coffee and bananas uh, in from the outside. And I think the same comes true for the U.S. And it would be of huge damage, uh, to my belief, for, organic, for, for farming in general, if uh, this uh, is politically uh, not seen and waited uh, too long, uh, because it will not be of support uh, of agriculture in general in the U.S. Yeah. We've been approached by somebody in China who wanted us to start a real organic project program in China. And uh, I think I referred her to you um, because that's not really what we do. But her, her concern was indeed that people are desperate for organic food there, but they cannot trust 
the the certification program. There's a lot of corruption. Well, that's a complete different situation in China as people do not trust uh, in food production in general because lots of things have have not gone in a smooth way, to say it in a diplomatic mm -hmm. <laughs> way, in the past. So they are very interested uh, in a credible uh, organic uh, farming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As as in the U.S. and everywhere else in the world, it's wonderful to see that people want that. They they see the problem, they perceive the need, and then the question is, how can we facilitate it so they can get what they want and so what they think they're getting? There's there's so much greenwashing. Well, Stefan, before we finish, are there things that you would like to say or talk about that I haven't asked about? Well, um, we are thankful you invited us to this uh, EcoStore conference. I had uh, never been here. My colleague Nora Taleb was here before, and she was uh, uh, she was so excited about uh, the EcoFarm conference, and so am I, because this is a complete different fair or conference than what we know, um, which comes true because of the spirit um, which everyone, I think, uh, can feel here with the spirit of we want to push this, this real organic. And then it comes true that very often joint ventures, partnerships will not work. And we were discussing within Naturland why that is so and what our chance with uh, uh, joining with the Real Organic Project is that we will not have a failure um, for our partnership. And I'm convinced sometimes you come up with a joint venture and a partnership because just thinking logically, this is the right thing to do. But logic is not or rational is not all to it. You have you have to have the feeling that there is well, that's the wrong word for organic, I know, but it's the German way of saying it, the right chemistry between people. And this we do have. This this we do have, and this makes me also so optimistic it will work because we have the, the positive spirit between you and all your people, beginning with, with Lindley and, and your staff. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing to, to communicate, to connect, and this part we had to develop. You, you said in the beginning we are in talks already for three years, but it just took us those this time to, to get the feeling that uh, this is not only logical and rational, it is uh, also it's, it's connected with the right feeling and the right heartbeat. Yes, this, this will work. And in the end of the day, we are uh, faced uh, with negative challenges in Europe. You are faced with those negative challenges in, in the US. That's, that's very normal, I suppose. Um, but uh, bringing those two worlds together should make it easier. I'm very happy and thankful and grateful for for that. And I should say I'm bringing uh, of uh, our assembly of delegates and our board of directors uh, the best regards and, um, and positive views I can bring. Thank you. Thank you, Stefan. I, I, I feel the same way. I, 
I think it took us a while, partly because the Real Organic Project is so young. We were just born five years ago. We're five years old. Think of a five-year-old child, and you're exploring the world, and everything is new, but you haven't quite figured out how to do things. So we're, we're inventing as we go along, and going, oh, what if we try this? And yes, that seems to work. But it's hard to make a big commitment until you understand even how to walk. Um, so... Yes, but see, when Naturland was invented uh, or founded uh, 40 years ago, and at our anniversary, many people came up and congratulated to the 40th anniversary, made me feel real young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a complete different situation. Because at that time, really everybody explained that those organic people are just complete lost fools. Now... As this, this train, which was not really existing at the time, now it is running. And you are founded in a time where this train is running. You don't have the time as we had to do, to, to, to build this train. It is already there. So, um, you, you are challenged to, to make steps much, much, much quicker. And, um, We are happy if we if you can learn uh, some things from us, and we are happy uh, to learn from you. Yes, yeah, no, it's it's wonderful, it's wonderful to have uh, you as a resource and to be a resource. So, thank you very much, Stefan Rees. Uh, it's uh, I'm gl I'm really glad that you came and we got to do this together, uh, you know, and I'm looking forward to the next five years. So do I. Thank you, Dave, and thank you to the Real Organic Project, all of them. Thank you for listening to the Real Organic Podcast. We hope that you'll subscribe and share the link with your friends. Please take the time today to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening to so that others can find us. A video version of this interview is found at realorganicproject.org and by following our YouTube channel. Please join us next time when our guests will be Hans Herren and Barbara Gemmel-Heron, two world-renowned agricultural scientists and advisors who are impacting food systems at the global level.